to break through this comfort, this insulation that we have built and we protect with walls, this Disneyland version of life that is not real. And even with the radio, you know, Christian radio, we, we don't want the outside world to get in. So it is hard. I feel, I feel bad bringing people closer to the sorrow. But then here's what the deal is. We were created in such a way. We were designed intricately. Our DNA was designed in such a way where we do not have fulfillment of life if we do not put ourselves in close proximity with sorrow. Because you know what they call my king? They called him the man of sorrows that was acquainted with grief. And there's not a grief that exceeds this grief. There's, there's a lot of grief in the world, but this grief, this idea of someone taking someone else's child and selling them for sex to sex tourists from around the world five times, 10 times, 15 times a day, that's sorrowful. And I get to sit with those working girls. I know their names, I know their stories, I know their dreams that they had once. I know there's the names of their sisters. I know about the factory they used to work in or the simplicity of the country life. And that's sorrowful. And I feel like I've lost myself. I feel like I'm broken. But then I realized, no, Jesus hung out with working girls. One washed his feet with her hair in sweet perfume. Everybody like said, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you, why are you letting her waste her money that way? What are you doing hanging out with people like that? And I realized I'm a person like that. I'm broken. So, as Bono says, when we draw close to those who are poor and those who are oppressed and exiled, we draw close to the king himself. I mean, really, Jesus says that. Welcome back to the show, Can I Say This at Church podcast. You were listening to a song, and it is something more than a song or an album, and it's something more than an album. And I don't mean like your wedding song or the song when you met your significant other. I mean like a song that is written with a heart that you hear something transcendent and that it speaks to you in a way that is a different version of holy. That when you hear the song, you hear the heart and the ministry and the work of Jesus. That is basically what today's episode is. Today's show is going to be heavier than, well, I say heavier. A lot of the shows are heavy, but most people I feel like in America are not aware, I know I wasn't, that the sex trade, slavery trade, trafficking of humans is a huge thing that still happens today. The way that our church and that our country and that we as people interact with the world commoditizes the world. The way that we choose to spend our time and our money and our eyes and divert our attention commoditizes our world. And what do we do about that? It's a question I don't have the answer to. I did, however, get to speak with David Zock. He's the lead singer for Remedy Drive. He partners with the Exodus Road, which is a ministry dedicating to breaking that cycle, to going undercover and trying to help those that have been sold into trafficking, trying to help them find light at the end of the tunnel. Prepare yourselves for a conversation that is beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. David, thank you so much for joining the Can I Say This at Church podcast and thinking of that name 
I can't think of a bigger topic than what we're going to talk about today and stuff that we don't talk about in church more so than, you know, justice and lament and sex trafficking and some of the work that you and your band are doing. Thank you for making the time to come on to the program, and I appreciate you being here. I'm glad to be here. When I saw the, the title of your podcast, when you used our song a while back, I was like, man, this would be a perfect uh, perfect podcast to talk about what we do. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot. Of, I've, I've come to find out there are a lot of things that nobody wants to talk about in church, and some of them are theological, you know, speaking in tongues or whatever, um, running up and down the aisles with streamers or... Yeah. Uh, intercessory prayer or it does, politics doesn't matter. So I wanted to start a bit. So I've followed your music for for years. You were uh, I, I went to Liberty and your music, especially some of y'all's your band's earlier work, was on repeat there at you know ninety point one the light at at Liberty. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about you. What would you want listeners of the show to know about you and about Remedy Drive? Um, I grew up in Nebraska. I grew up in Christian culture, church culture. Um, I, we, we were always indie. I never really saw ourselves being a band that was played on the radio, but we did sign a record deal and that record deal in 08, you know, it's 10 years ago now is what, you know, our song daylight, our song all along, which is the ones people would know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thankful for that because it put us in exposure to a lot of people and got us, you know, to play at places like Liberty. And we played at a lot of churches and, festivals and conferences but at the same time i never really felt like i belonged that that world uh and maybe it's part i grew up in a really conservative home home church network where we weren't really even allowed to play rock and roll and rules and uh the rules and the regulations inside of our own church network i thought was unique to just us and then when i got outside and started touring the country and i've been at probably more churches than anybody can say they've been at. You know, we're talking <laughs> 200 shows a year sometimes. I'd be at different churches sometimes, four, five, six in a week. Oh my! Um, I realize that we all have our own weird views on different things, and that's really a weird part of who I am is that I observe that so often. And in that sense, maybe um, maybe I haven't landed on on you know raising kids now. Maybe I haven't landed on my own for sure thoughts on what the right way to do that is <laughs> yeah no i i can i can echo that i've said it before in much earlier conversations with people that it wasn't until i had kids that my faith became into question because when you think of god our father or god our mother or whatever you want to call it when you are a father or a mother all those something in me broke open and the emotions change and it impacts the way that i see things the filter that you have yeah and that was kind of that's kind of my story uh, how I'm curious, how do you end up playing rock and roll for a living if you weren't really doing that as a child? Because I can tell you, I, I can play a guitar. I have one right over there. I lead the worship at my church sometimes. Yeah. I am not a guitar player, quote unquote. You use that as a, as a way that I could make a living. So how does one come from, we didn't really allow to do this, to now this is all I do? Well, we are allowed to listen to Keith Green. And he's the only <laughs> real rock music we are allowed to listen to. And I remember the first time my friend taught me how to bend a uh, string, uh, um, which we thought was, you know, an evil a, a guitar string bending that scream it makes. And it was just on acoustic guitar. My parents were cool. And they, I think that was part of what, looking back, it was one of the most clear parts of us saying, why? Why this arbitrary rule against just this particular style of music? 
and it was it led me out of that that organization that we were part of. But I had learned piano. I didn't have a TV grown up, which was one of our rules. So that actually helped us become creative. Me and my brothers, when we started the yeah. band, we, we had a time to be creative. Uh, I'm trying to pass that on to my kids. Yeah, no, I agree. I um, with the creative part, it's hard to limit that screen time. On the other side of the wall here, I've got a set of drums for my son, and he actually comes nice. to church with me each Sunday at like yeah. seven fifteen, seven thirty in the morning. He's there before yeah. most anyone else. He's there before the pastor as the worship band comes together, and he's getting better. Like he plays drums with us with the full band, That's and cool. I love it. I love it. He actually is yeah. my small little metronome because it's a very simple, very very simple beat, and yeah, it does. He does keep me on tempo. Your last two albums or your band's last two albums, there is a ginormous shift, and I. When I say that, um, both Commodity and the North Star, I feel like I would never hear any of those songs on K-Love or Spirit yeah. FM. And so my, my question is, like, why the shift? What happened in your life that, that caused you to go, I can't sing this shrink-wrapped version of the lady that needs this four minutes on the way to work? Like, What changed in your life that, that broke that open uh, for a change of lyrics or for a change of heart? Or was that always there? Well, like I said, I was always kind of against industry, against the commercializing of art. But I'm thankful for our time, like I said. But it came to a point, there was probably about 20 really specific moments of convergence, and I'll tell you a few of them. One was Martin Luther King Jr. would say to me, every year on, on, his, on his day, I would listen to the last speech he made. And he'd say, now is a time for us to develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. And that moved me to the core of who I am. And also made me guilty about listening to the A&R and the marketing and the record label executives that keep on pushing the safe for the whole family mindset on me, which flies in the face of the whole gospel, flies mm -hmm. in the face of, of the, the honesty and the truth of what Jesus Christ proclaimed, which is freedom to captives, liberty to prisoners, good news for poor people, ignoring all that to met, to put out this shiny pop. It's going to rot your teeth eventually. I know it tastes good, but it's going to rot your teeth. <laughs> uh, and then in 2012, you remember Coney, the warlord that I would do. kidnap boys. He'd force them to fight. He would force their daughter to be uh, child brides of generals. Uh, they'd be raped. The kids were forced into cannibalism and blood blood sacrifice and rituals, all this awful stuff. And I watched that video that morning with my daughter and she was five. And Ava says to me, dad, why not God protect those boys? And I have never felt so helpless as a parent, but also she put in words what you can't say that at church, right? Right. <laughs> she yeah. said, it. she didn't know you can't say that at church. Yeah. She said, dad, where's God? Why didn't he do something about this? And so I wrote that. I wrote those lyrics, Jesus, where are you? They're far too young. And I was kind of upset with the king of the universe. Why do you allow this to happen? And just that video, and the more I studied slavery and the more I started writing lyrics. But then I went to my A&R guys like, man, I think I have a role to play in this. I'm supposed to sing about this. And maybe I can offer my voice to the fight against slavery and the fight against injustice and equality and child soldiers. And I can expose it. I can shine a light on it. So people that take action might be moved to take action. That's what I thought at the time I was supposed to do. And my marketing director looked me in the eye and he said, David, I am a whore. I need you to give me something I can sell. Uh, another thing you can't say at church. Yeah. But you can say it behind the scenes that those guys that peddle out this positive pop, 
this positive encouraging. They, that's the way they talk behind the scenes. These guys are about the, the dollar. At the end of the day, they're about, they're about the dollar. They're not about saying what needs to be said about impacting culture. They're about keeping people happy. And my A&R guy says to me, I say, I have this idea. And there were so many people that were excited about the idea to make a, a, a socially conscious, social justice oriented rock and roll album that has worshipful elements. But my A&R guy says, hey, isn't worship singing? And, you know, social justice, that's this whole other thing, mm-hmm. which I think is what he said, which I think is the Christian music industry, I think is a result or it's the other way around of Christian culture. And that is, hey, let's just tell people about Jesus. All we care about is Jesus, but we don't care about what Jesus cares about. And that's slaves. That's poverty. That's health care. That's um, that's uh, single mothers. That's that's refugees. That's exile. Uh, yeah, or or the entire the entire uh, book of Luke. Just if you wanna if you wanna delve more into that, just just read Luke. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Read Amos. And Amos says, "You know what? I hate your worship songs. They annoy my ears. Your festivals and your conventions. I want nothing to do with them. I asked you for justice, oceans of justice. So shut up with your songs. Shut up with your praying. I'm gonna plug my ears when you pray." Until you do something about, and and so that's ringing in my ears. Isaiah fifty eight is ringing in my ears, and Luke when when Jesus quotes Isaiah in the Gospel of Luke, it's just ringing in my ears. So that's a long answer. To yeah, your yeah. Well, no. And for those that want to know what that paraphrase was, I'm pretty sure that's Amos five twenty something through twenty five or something like that. If you want to just pause now and go get your Bible and make sure that that's not yeah. being made, that's definitely in there. So, um, yeah, and I that's find- what I got to. I feel like I have to say that all the time. I was like, wait, I'm not the one saying this. Yeah. I'm quoting the prophet. I find, and this happened even over the past weekend, when I say things like that on social media specifically, the trolls, for lack of a better word, get so mad. And I'm like, well, that's not what the Old Testament said. I'm like, I I know you keep quoting things to me from the Old Testament, but I would like to remind you, you have heard it said, but I say to you. I was like, so every Mm. time you say something, I'd like to briefly remind you, you have heard it said, and now let's pay attention. Every time he says that, let's pay attention. And then they just get yeah. silent, which is so infuriating, so frustrating and humiliating, if I'm honest, for, for, for someone that professes to be a Christian, that people treat what was said that way. Human trafficking, sex trafficking, slavery, justice, the the ministry that you're a part of is the Exodus Road, and and I'll link to that in the notes for those listening if you want to go and support that ministry. And so in research for this, the numbers astounded me. I would assume, you know, uh, uh, in especially third world countries, that the number of people in slavery was not as high as what it was. And so not to bury the lead, it was like 45, 40-something million people which is insane. That's like the state of Texas. Every person in the state of Texas. Yeah. And it's depressing. And so how has how have you and your band partnered with the Exodus Road and what does that ministry kind of look like? 
And for context, that number of 40-some million people being enslaved in 2018 are impacted by slavery. 10 million people were enslaved in the transatlantic slave trade 200 years ago. And that's the only one we normally talk about. Yeah, so it's, it's not like we as, a, a, we as humanity are moving forward in this problem. We're, we're losing ground. Um, so, like I said, we thought we were supposed to write songs, which we do. We have two albums. The North Star, which is named after Frederick Douglass's newspaper, which was named after a star in the sky that the slaves would follow to find their way north at night. And they I didn't know that. Their- yeah. So it's it's it, it, some of the melodies would talk about how to find it from the from the Big Dipper to the Little Dipper. There's the, there's the North Star, if you, um, which is brilliant that they use songs to sing about the North Star. And Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist that ran away, that said, "I prayed for 20 years and didn't get an answer until I used my feet." <laughs> he <laughs> had that newspaper, that abolitionist newspaper, commodity being the one before. I got that lyric idea of my marketing director. I essentially responded, "I'm not a commodity. You know, I'm, I don't want to be shrink wrapped." And I used some of that angst against that industry and industry in general to tell the story of people enslaved. So that's one thing we do. We tell the story and we help fund the Exodus Road. Our fan base has raised a third of a million dollars so far in donations and in-kind donations. We also recruit people at our concerts. One guy that saw us play down here in the South, um, he had been formerly a special forces in the military. He had been shot out of a helicopter in Afghanistan, broke his back, but he's healthy enough to do good work, but but he can't be in the special forces anymore because of the back injury. So he just donated two years of his life going overseas, donated his time, raised his own fund, and he was on the front lines with the exit road. Um, and then I also uh, spent a lot of time myself doing undercover work in Latin America and in Southeast Asia, spying on mafias and crime syndicates and cartels that make their living off of selling these girls. Mm. And my goal is that that investigative work, that undercover work, we go into brothels, we go into red light districts, we uh, follow uh, pedophiles, we tail them, we find out where they live, we find out who they're doing business, we try to build uh, cases against clubs, uh, all for the hopes of rescuing these girls and boys, but also taking down the organization's and disrupting their their profit. Is it? I don't want to sound jaded, but from what I've not not from what I've read, but from what I can think, it would it would almost seem like a whack a mole kind of thing. Is is it that, or is there actual progress happening, or do you just shut one down, hopefully, and then another one pop up and take its place, just like a power vacuum? Well, I feel the same way about it as I do sometimes when I'm more cynical as when I'm mowing my lawn. I don't get done mowing my lawn. Uh, without thinking, you know what, I'm going to have to come out here and do this again because these uh, <laughs> these weeds are going to grow right back up. <laughs> but, I mean... But it doesn't mean you don't mow the lawn. It doesn't mean I don't do it. And, and, and the work itself is obedience. And we do it to the best ability. We're not just, we, we know that we, we know it's the wrong strategy to just go in and kidnap a girl out of slavery because... Another girl's going to have to be, get kidnapped in her place. Or we know we're not going to purchase these people's freedom from the mafia because that's funding slavery. So we're, so it's not like we're not doing it strategically. Our goal is to take down these crime syndicates and to send a message to other crime syndicates in the area that even when the whole world looks away, somebody's looking out. Somebody's watching. You can no longer operate with impunity. And as a result of that, we have seen the 
the average age of girls on the street in certain communities go up quite a bit because they know it's more dangerous and it's getting more expensive to sell minors. Uh, and as with anything else, are we going to feed everybody? Are we going to, are we going to end malaria? Eh, you know, another disease will just pop up in its place. Will we really be able to get enough clean water? I think some of these things are, are, we are going to be able to accomplish, but that, but as much as that is a, a goal, we're supposed to do it just because we're supposed to do it. These are the things the king of the universe cares about. He's going to end slavery when he returns. And someday when slavery is but a mere memory, they're going to look back and they're going to remember the day when righteous people rose up out of indifference. You actually wrote something similar to that in one of your blog posts. I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I said it or at least got your thoughts on it. And so you wrote, someday when slavery is a distant memory and they'll talk about the day when the righteous rose from indifference and maybe these songs will be remembered as having contributed to the resistance. <laughs> And uh, and you go on to say, we need to reduce the melodies of our hearts to the lowest common denominator. Our youth exploited, our songs exploited, our tears exploited. And so when you say, you know, our youth exploited, our songs exploited, our tears exploited, what do you mean by that specifically? In that, I was talking about kind of my angst and my disappointment where I felt exploited. I felt commoditized. I felt I felt like a mere product to be bought and sold by by industry. And I think not just music industry, I think we all feel that a certain way, whether it's, you know, uh, whatever it is, sometimes we, you know, corporations can take advantage of us. So everybody feels the sting of that. And what I'm trying to do by referencing that is saying, Hey, how does that feel? Imagine if that was actually not just a metaphor, but actually your life. The fact that someone can take ownership of someone else. You know, when I signed a record deal, I had to sign away my image and my likeness. <laughs> Somebody owns the master to your face. <laughs> yeah, someone owns the master to my face. Uh, but think, think, think of how that would actually be. And then, and then to know that nobody's coming, nobody's looking. And that idea of legacy has been, that is what my wife said when I met with Matt. Because Matt Parker from the Exodus Road, I said, man, I want to join you. And I get home at 2 a.m. that night, and Anna's like, no way, what are you talking about? And as Matt talks to us the next day at breakfast, Anna says, David will join you, this will be our legacy. And I think of the prophet Daniel that says, those who turn many to righteous will shine like the stars forever. And that longing to be recognized, to have a king say, well done, and that longing for luminosity in the next life. I want to wake that up at people because I know that's the way we're built. We're built, like C.S. Lewis says, with that weight of glory that's longing for the for divine recognition, which comes with some sort of luminosity. And so I, I, I wrote the blog you quoted a long time ago, but then I wrote a lyric off of it. And it says, um, and when we're gone in ages to come, the sages will write. So rage the bearers of the light, so wage the few with all our might against the terrors of the night, with no sight in view from the depth to the heights. Mm. And I, I, I don't know what it is, but I just, I, I just want to be part of that number. I'm going to get to meet Harriet Tubman and William Wilberforce and Moses and Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm going to be able to say, hey, look at this little bit that I did in the same field, in the same arena of justice that you were in. And I think there's going to be something special about that. We won't stand by. We are steadfast, you see. We got open eyes. 
knowing what I know about myself, I don't see how you don't get broken going undercover, seeing these women, looking across, or, or I assume it's not just women. I assume maybe it's also men, boys as well. I don't know. I, I would think yeah, it has probably. to be. Um, I don't see how you don't just get broken. And and when I hear your last two albums, and specifically the North Star, all I hear is emotion. And I find myself, when I'm listening to it, I sometimes have to pull off of the road, um, specifically with Redemption Song. And I, I didn't even know until a few weeks ago that that was a remake of Bob Marley, because I Googled the lyrics just yeah. so I could write them down. And then Bob Marley came up before you. I was like, this can't be Bob Marley. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it was. And how do you... How do you take all that emotion and all of that sadness and brokenness of what these children are going through and distill that into a song? Because I think songs have a way to to transcend something that is beyond our brains and beyond our hearts, almost something that's primal, that is, uh, I don't know what the word is, something more than human. I feel bad for some of my other friends that don't have music or some sort of art as an outlet that do this kind of work. Because these songs literally happen. Uh, you know, I'm writing, I wrote, take me to the King's kingdom. Tell me what it looks like. I wrote that melody and lyric. It just came out when I was on a rainy drive, riding a motorcycle in Southeast Asia. I just had that long. I just need to see something beautiful because I'm broken. And I, and you say, I don't know how you don't get broken. No, I am a broken person. I, Mm -hmm. I, I am not happy. I am not content to live in a world with 40 million slaves and more refugees than any other time in human history. And I sow in the fields of apathy, and that also makes me pretty sorrowful. My, I'm going to try to rescue people from out of church culture, which sometimes, unfortunately, is pews full of apathy. Uh, looking the other way, as we... S- live in our religious garments when there's a man bleeding on the side of the road that Jesus talked about from the road from Jericho and to Jerusalem. And all of that makes me sorrowful. But here's what I tell people, and I feel bad because I'm recruiting people into this sorrow with me. <laughs> I'm forcing people like yourselves to have to turn off the road because the emotion is overwhelming. Um, but to, to break through this comfort, this insulation that we have built and we protect with walls, this Disneyland version of life, that is not real. And even with the radio, you know, Christian radio, we, we don't want the outside world to get in. So it is hard. I feel, I feel bad bringing people closer to the sorrow. But then here's what the deal is. We were created in such a way. We were designed intricately. Our DNA was designed in such a way where we do not have fulfillment of life if we do not put ourselves in close proximity with sorrow. Because you know what they call my king? They called him the man of sorrows that was acquainted with grief. And there's not a grief that exceeds this grief. There's, there's a lot of grief in the world, but this grief, this idea of someone taking someone else's child and selling them for sex to sex tourists from around the world five times, 10 times, 15 times a day, that's sorrowful. Mm-hmm. And I get to sit with those working girls. I know their names. I know their stories. I know their dreams that they had once. I know there's the names of their sisters. I know about the factory they used to work in or the simplicity of the country life. And that's sorrowful. And I feel like I've lost myself. I feel like I'm broken. But then I realized, no, Jesus hung out with working girls. One washed his feet with her hair in sweet perfume. Mm-hmm. Everybody like said, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you, why are you letting her waste her money that way? What are you doing hanging out with people like that? And I realized I'm a person like that. I'm broken. 
So as Bono says, when we draw close to those who are poor and those who are oppressed and exiled, we draw close to the king himself. I mean, really, Jesus says that. When you're there and you're learning the stories of these girls, yeah. do they? Do you think there's any inkling that they know that you're not going to abuse them or take advantage of them, that you're there to help them? Is there anything you think that they ever pick up on that they're like, no, there's something different about this guy. He's here to help me. I don't know why I know this, but something in him makes it, and I know he's here to help me. Do you feel like that ever happens And, and or no? I'm an artist. So now I'm an optimist, you know, so I, I would like to think that somehow our spirits communicate that whether or not it's conscious, but for sure there's a, there might be a safety to me that she doesn't sense from, you know, some 250 pounds, 70 year old, 60 year old Russian dude. That's, that's her other option. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I do the job. I do it with kindness. I'm, I'm kind, I'm tender, I'm compassionate. I'm not handsy. I'm not pushy i'm not um but at the same time you have to be pretend that you're interested in buying this other human being uh and something that i like to do is i learned her language i learned to say you are beautiful and when i tell her that when i say goodbye sometimes there's also a sense of rejection because she's under this impression that when i leave there i'm out to find some girl that's prettier Mm. or more attractive than me and she's not going to meet her quota and i you know uh, you know, hope, you know, maybe, maybe I'd be a better option than one of these other guys. So there might be disappointment that she's not going to make the money she needed to make for her handlers to pay off her dad's debt, whatever the situation is. So I say you're beautiful. And when I say that, I mean, you are valuable. You are a daughter of the King. You know, you are priceless. You are. Um, and I hope that that almost spoken as a prayer over her will be something that, um, She's been in proximity with the king of the universe if, if she's in proximity with someone like us, right? And I don't know how that works, and I'm not a theologian, but maybe that moment will count when she meets him face to face. And she's like, I recognize you for some reason. And he says, that's because I was with you in that brothel that night, that, that, brown-haired, that brown-haired guy with messy hair came in. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to... I want to ask a, a few specifics about a couple of the songs on the the North Star. Yeah, there's not every song deals with 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 slavery. Well, it does in a way, slavery in a different way, but not necessarily sex trafficking. And so, warlike specifically, and then sanctuary, even though they're not put back and forth together. Yeah, when I he, when I listen to warlike, it makes it where I can't watch the news anymore. In 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 a good way, like I. I, I hear everything that CNN or Fox News or some pastors or some members of the church will say, you know, no, we need to do this. We need to bomb Syria. We need to do this. And then I hear that song and there's a part of it that's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're doing this wrong. And, and when I hear it, for some reason, I think of two different movies. So I think of, of that scene in Wonder Woman where humans have been throwing stuff or shooting stuff at everybody since humans could walk. And then the same thing in my son and I just watched Thor Ragnarok. The same thing there where, you know, um, the, the goddess of, 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 of death is talking about how they conquered the entire universe. And it's just war upon war upon war upon war. Yeah. And then to book in that with Sanctuary, those two are almost entire opposites. One is, no, I'm here to give you everything. And the other is, because I destroyed you. And so can you talk a bit about those two separate songs? 
Well, the Warlike began with a conversation I had with some Congolese refugees in Nashville in my home. And they were talking to me about Colton, which is a mineral that is mined out of their country that we use in our electronics and our cell phones. And I look back at the history of that country, similar to, you mentioned, um, Wonder Woman, the god of war, Ares, um, personified in King Leopold, this Welsh, or, you know, Bel how do you say it? Welsh from Belgium, a king that thinks he can go own Congo. He can own the whole land. And at soccer, I met a guy from Cameroon three days ago. You can imagine me at soccer at, uh, on the soccer field with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of uh, khaki shorted <laughs> suburban parents. You know, I, I just connect with the Congolese dad, and he talks about French colonialism and the, the agreements that French uh, leaders set up with dictators, so that the dictators own the resources and then give it to the French companies and other international corporations. And that spirit of Aries finding its way through to our foreign policy over the years and our need for oil at all costs, our need for um, minerals and uranium, once again, back to Congo, those conversations that, not that I have answers, I'm just really sad that we're so warlike. Mm. I hate it because it's not just killing people in the act of war, it's displacing people. And I'm, I'm, I'm bothered that religious people, and especially specifically the white evangelical movement, gets caught up and become war advocates and propping up war hawks because of the way sometimes people read prophetic scripture uh, and they look the other way. You meet Palestinians at festivals like I do. I meet Christians from Palestine and they, they, they're just like, why are American Christians so mean to us? Why do people not... <laughs> us why do you not care about human rights they just care about these other things but not about human rights and that disappoints me so, and then moves me to sanctuary where i take the voice of multiple refugees i take a poem that's written on our statue of liberty new Colossus, and i take another poem called uh, home is the mouth of a shark by by a refugee and what why would anybody run from their home unless home is going to kill them? It's not her fault. It's not his fault. It's not a child's fault that her dad puts her on a raft going across the Aegean Sea and she's, she, she dies, you know? And we go to Syria, like you mentioned last week. We send, we spend 250 million, was it? Something like that? More think than we should have. Syri think of how many Syrian people we could have helped. But instead, the evangelical movement helped make sure that we only brought 11 Syrians to America so far in 2018. 11 beautiful people, smart people. So the idea that people from countries like Syria or Uganda or Cameroon or Haiti have less value to bring to our culture than someone from Norway, what an awful idea. But that is the idea that's been dominant in white supremacy and in, in colonialism when we when we go and take from all these countries to our benefit and the people that suffer the most are the people that have to run from our bombs or bombs that we sold to countries and dictators that we propped up. And I just don't think that as a Christian, I should have any part in wanting that. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that it's horrible lip service to say 
we won't let these children and their families run away from a, an awful situation to a country that actually can support them and protect them if we wanted to because you're from this country. But as soon as someone else poisons those children, then we've got to protect those children. But as long as they stay within their walls, don't come over here, stay, stay on your side of the line, uh, which is, that's not Jesus. That's not, that's not Jesus. And I reference, I reference because people, when it comes to DACA recipients and people from Mexico or people from Latin America and South America and Central America, I was in, I was in Latin America with the Exodus Road and I, I see a great need. There's people, there's violence. But what is that violence coming from? Why are people um, facing violence from drug lords? It's because there's a demand for cocaine. Where is that demand coming from? It's coming from our suburbs, our businessmen, our Wall Street executives. And if there wasn't that demand for cocaine, that violence wouldn't exist because th these gangs would not need to be propped up in order to cr to meet that demand for American, the American population needs those drugs so they're going to create those drugs old pirates yes they rabbi sold i to the merchant ships minutes after they took i from the bottomless pit but my hand was made strong by the hand of the almighty we forward Generation triumphantly. Won't you help me sing? The, the most impactful song on the album to me is Sunlight on Her Face. And so I want to end with that. And then for those listening, I would like to play a piece of that after we're done with this conversation. And so please hang out after the credits to hear that. Can you talk to me a bit about the story of Sunlight on Her Face? Because I especially like the way that you end it with verse three. And you referenced it earlier, you know, Alabaster Box, um, Woman at the Well, mm -hmm. just a bunch of people that, that children prostitutes, slaves, women specifically have such a bigger part of the gospel in the ministry than most evangelicals would give them. And so can you talk a bit about the story of Sunlight on Her Face, where that came from? Yeah. I've met girls um, that are being sold for prostitution from all over the world. I've met girls in Latin America, from Latin America. I've met girls from Latin America in Southeast Asia girls from Uganda or Kenya on the streets of Southeast Asia. And they all have the same look in their eyes. They're, they're stuck in this job. Somebody's controlling them. Someone's profiting off them through some fraud or coercion or manipulation. And yet a lot of times I see this resilience, this defiance in her eyes. And that moved me. And I started to write, but then I was in a conversation with my friend Sudhir and Sudhir's from India, and he does a lot of work in locked brothels. And he's talking to me about how some of the girls in these locked brothels, they've been there for days at a time, um, and they're not allowed out, and they're forced to sleep with, like, they're forced to be raped by, like, 15 to 20 customers a day, sometimes more. 
And um, Sue Deer is looking at me, and we're on the top of this. I'll never forget it. We're on the top of this building in Southeast Asia. And the sheets are blowing in the wind because they're doing the laundry on top of that building. And Sue Deer says, some of these girls they haven't seen the sunlight on their face for days. Hmm. And then I think of, you know, there was one time in particular, this guy comes up to me after a concert and says to me, he's like, man, I really like what you're doing for those girls, but I really wish someone would share Jesus with them. <laughs> <laughs> and just the way he said it and I was like I was like what do you mean man he's like because something much worse is going to happen to her if someone doesn't share Jesus with her I was like who's going to do something worse than raping her 15 times a day man and just the way he said it I thought you know what she is going to meet Jesus and sometimes when I walk out of a, a place with one of these girls she'll she'll pray to Buddha or she, and so I just imagine in that lyric Jesus Christ the creator of the heavens and the earth intercepting that prayer and like I said earlier, he's going to meet her and he's going to tell her about him. Just like that girl that washed his feet with sweet perfume. Just like Rahab on the wall with the spies. Uh, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, he has something special for these girls in his heart. And I want to, too, and I want people to hear the music to have that same special thing in their hearts for these girls that are forced and tricked and manipulated into this, this awful trade. And I just have this belief and hope and prayer for them that they will meet him in that same way and they'll have the same experiences with him someday yeah absolutely in this life or in the passage between this life and the next and i don't know how that works you alluded to it earlier and so not everyone either has the ability or the gifts to be able to do what you do to support this ministry and so in in closing how can people help support the exodus road and ministries like it uh, and and become involved in a way that is beyond lip service, that is beyond insufficient thoughts and prayers, uh, beyond platitudes. And so how how would you direct people to engage in something that I, I don't know many things that could be more important than all of these millions of people that, that drastically need help and not do something? And so how would you have people get involved? Well, financially is a big, is a big help. You can, you can, put an investigator in the field for one evening for $35 a month, which is cool because then you're part of what that guy's doing. You can buy spy gear. Um, a girl ran a 5k in stiletto high heels and raised hundreds of dollars and also raised awareness. She was carried across the finish line by, by somebody cause her feet were bleeding. Um, oh. all sorts of cool things. If you go to remedydrive.com slash action, I give a bunch of examples of different ways people have gotten involved. If you text, remedy to five one five 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 you'll get ideas and ways to 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 contribute but you'll also get updates on your phone every time somebody's rescued which is the best text to get ever yeah no that would be you know what i'm i'm doing that um yeah what a better way to have a great day or at least a more yeah. fulfilling day uh i don't think having a great day should be the, the the reason that you do that but i don't know what could be more fulfilling than than popping that up and seeing that so yeah it's fulfilling yeah. Well, David, thank you again so much. I I envy your ministry, and, and I, I am praying for you, and I hope others are as well. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. I can't think of a harder topic to talk about or prepare for. All of the theology, all of the race, everything else that I have spoken about with many other people, I can't think of a harder topic that I have prayed as much for or about than the conversation that you just heard with David. As I said with Daniel Hill's interview, people bear the image of Christ. And if we believe that, it matters 
to how we live, what we do, and how we treat people. Before we end, thank you to the Patreon supporters. Thank you to those that have rated the show on iTunes. And if you haven't, please go and do so. It costs you no money, and it helps the show so much. I want to leave you with what we just heard about the story of sunlight on her face, tops of roofs. I want you to picture a poor girl being repeatedly used in a way that humans aren't built to be used. And just keep that in your mind. Keep Christ in your mind as you listen to this last song from Remedy Drive's most recent album, North Star, uh, entitled Sunlight on Her Face. I hope it speaks to you in the same way that it spoke to me. She held you at the tomb with the 
do when the air cruel spear inside in the hill she was there on the wall with the spies and the pale moon hidden there by her side in the back of the room she's a child and a bride in Sahara Dune she's a daughter of Syria and Cameroon from the streets of Brazil to the hills of Thailand on the boat strewn fields of Uganda sand She's maybe 15, she's American She's praying, are you listening? Do you understand? 